Welcome back to Negative Space, the podcast where we explore the spaces in between, the pauses, the gaps, and the uncharted territories of our world. I'm your host, Sean, and today we are delving back into our captivating conversation with Lilia about how massage therapy bridges the gap between two very different worlds, humans and horses. In the second half of this interview, we are going into the intricacies of massage, the parallels between man and animal, and the profound healing power of touch. So whether you're settling into a cozy armchair or out on a peaceful horseback ride, let's journey back into this enlightening world with Lilia. After this quick message from our sponsors. Blue Ridge Brewery where food meets flavor in the heart of Greer, South Carolina. Come and experience the perfect blend of taste and tradition with an array of mouth-watering delights. Sink your teeth into the signature Buffalo Burger, a tantalizing symphony of flavors that will leave you craving for more. And for those seeking a brunch adventure for their taste buds, indulge in their delightful Birdie Mary, a cocktail that will elevate your dining experience higher than a roasted chicken can fly. Whether you're here for a family gathering or a night out with friends, Blue Ridge Brewery is the place to be. Come to downtown Greer for a visit at 308 Trade Street. Blue Ridge Brewery, where flavors blend and the memories are brewed. Follow Blue Ridge Brewery on social media for updates and special events. How did you become involved in massage? Oh. Well, don't worry, this is not a PG-13 rated no, show. No, no, it's not, no. <laughs> so, at the company I'm working now, I was there first. And I left it to chase the corporate dream because I wanted to be top notch. Unfortunately, the company that I went to, yes, it was a bigger company. I was just a number and they ended up having some restructuring. So I was out. They did a negotiation with South Carolina government that the people that came out, they needed to, they could do schooling again. So I figured I have a business degree. Well, I can get maybe my master's in international business. Well, I was very wrong because what they were talking about was just a different path and maybe an associate's degree. Vocational yeah, training vocational. rather than actual schooling exactly. that may have improved I, yes. trajectories. Yes. I see where we're going. So the person that I talked to first, she looked at me and she said, but you already have a degree. And I said, yeah. Oh, we're not going to help you. And I said, okay. Forget it. So I had been doing massage with my horses. So I dedicated, while I was in that transition, I focused on my horse business and I started giving more lessons and that kind of stuff. Suddenly I get a call from the South Carolina Works, whatever it's called. And they tell me, why haven't I done, shown up, have all my records? anything because my money was going to run out and I'm like because you told me that you would not help me they call me in a new person was my 
case lead manager. case manager per se. I did like five tests in a day, which was like crazy. So based on those tests, basically they said, okay, you can go to, I think there, uh, occupational therapy was the number one, chiropractic was number two and from there on. At the time I, I was working with some uh, kids that had disabilities. So I figure occupational therapy would be the one. So I went into um, Greenville Tech for occupational therapy assistant. I did the first year. They did not tell me that I needed a 4.0, that I needed letters of recommendation, that I needed more biology and chemistry classes to be able to go into the second year. So I had a 3.75. I had one letter of recommendation and I didn't have the biology and chemistry classes that they wanted. So I didn't get in. So I go back to my case, man case manager and I told her, well, this is what's going on. I cannot get into the second year. And she basically said, you need to find something that you can finish in a year. Like, okay. So the only two things that you could finish in a year was um, medical coding and massage therapy. Oh. I medical was, coding sounds very interesting. Please, well, what is it? <laughs> it's how to collect the money <laughs> from the insurance company. Oh, this is like medical coding and this billing. Is, billing. This, is, this yes. is like HTS codes, just like for hospitals. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, that yeah. is. But because in the weeds, but yeah. Yeah, but because some of my background was collections, I basically said, okay, I'll do this. I was already in school, accepted, and my class was the next day, basically. So I go to the case manager and say, I'm already in school, they have accepted me. And she's like, mm, no, I'm not approving that. I'm like, excuse me? We have not had enough people find a job on that, so I will approve massage therapy. And I'm like, okay. Mind you, I know nothing about massage therapy for humans. I know for horses. <laughs> okay. So uh, I enter schooled. So, you know, I already had some of the anatomy and stuff. When we started the massage classes practice, I was like, eh, okay. But then when we started doing like deep tissue and the energy work and that kind of stuff, I really got interested on the changes that you can actually see in the body, especially with deep tissue. So that's my specialty. That's what I specialize in. But that's what got me basically hooked into massage therapy. And not that I didn't like it or didn't mind it. It's just now I like to help people. It's, it's a way of me providing some help for people that need it. And most of the people that come to me, I mean, I've had clients for the past probably 10 years that have been coming to me for pain management. So it's just nice to have that rapport with them and that I have been able to help them 
during this journey of getting rid of pain. So that's how I got into massage therapy. How does deep tissue massage help? Because I know when I get it, <laughs> I just want to punch somebody in the face. I'm just asking for a friend. For a friend, right? <laughs> yeah, for a friend. So when we start working in deep tissue, I guess I'm, it's so, like, is that where the emotions are stored? Oh God, yes. <laughs> the issues are in the tissues. So we the start, uh, yeah, we start peeling the onion <laughs> and emotions start coming out. Yes, yes. But the biggest difference is probably when somebody does deep tissue, it, it doesn't, it's not force. It's the amount of weight body that you put into that muscle for it to be able to relax. And the difference is that you're getting deeper into the muscle than just doing a relaxing massage. So where I can, in my work, I can, let's say, work with ice and heat allow the muscle to contract and release, where I can do also cup, use cupping to be able to bring more stuff in. The deeper I get into the muscle, the more I can restore its ability to function. Do you see a <clears throat> kind of like same sort of muscle hurt across multiple people? Well, now you do because everybody's on the phone or on the computer. So those particular muscles are usually the same, you know, back issues. You're basically bending your neck, looking at something all the time, or you're sitting on a computer. But everybody is a little bit different. There are, you know, athletes that perform different things, hurt in different ways. But I think right now what you see the most is the stuff being brought by the computer use that people do not get off of the computer and the phone. It's, you know, everybody's playing with their phone. They don't leave the phone alone. They live with the phone attached to their hip <laughs> or to their hand, per se. <laughs> so is that why everyone's hips are out of location? No, it's not the hips, it's probably the neck because you're bending like that and looking at it and like, yeah, that's a problem. So we mentioned a little bit about horse massage. How does that differ between human massage, aside from, I don't know, a thousand pounds? <laughs> a horse cannot tell you that it's hurting. So massage therapy on a horse. And you say people can tell you that? Oh, well, they can. They, they can. That's why some, they some come people, to you. Yeah. yeah. But some people actually hold their breath while they're in pain and they're like, yeah, just go for it and do it. But a horse, per se, cannot express. They can express the pain in a different way. And people can see it as they are being reluctant to do their work, but the horses are in pain. But when you're working with them, you cannot 
they cannot tell you, oh yes, here is where it hurts. So you have to find the place where it hurts. And then when they start releasing, you see a complete change on the horses demeanor and how they act and I mean some horses just go to sleep and it, it's just very interesting the the way that they release they don't retain yes horses don't forget they're like elephants but they don't retain the emotions like we humans do in the body so when they release they release when we release it's like oh no maybe i won't feel like i want it so i want it back <laughs> maybe i'm not ready so no i'm not gonna give it to you you're saying that we have things that happen in our lives that maybe influence the way that our bodies are actually physically hurt yeah we are very good at hiding our emotions and we are very good at hiding things that happen to us and not dealing with them at any given point in time. And per Eastern medicine, any kind of bad emotion that you have will create sickness. So there's a lot of sicknesses attached to emotions. And that's, again, that's from what I have read, what I have studied, that's my belief. People can defer opinions, but I do think that, you know, some ailments come due to the emotions that you keep stored. Unfortunately. <laughs> when you're working on someone and they start letting those emotions go, how do you deal with that? So, people, one of the things that you have to tell people as a massage therapist is that they're in a safe space, okay? I mean, there's no use of you crying with them or laughing with them or, you know, you are basically guiding them through the release of the emotion. And people can react differently to how they release the emotion. They can cry, they can, you know, just completely be quiet. They can start laughing like crazy or they can chit chat your head off. So you just have to kind of follow and guide that person to be able to release it. Um, I would say that as a massage therapy therapist, through the schooling that you have, you are shown what to do it's very different when it happens in front of you so you have to one thing is for them to tell you how it's gonna happen and another thing is for you to actually see it in place there is uh, um, somatic massage which actually is dealing only with the emotions and you start getting in touch with the emotion and start asking questions and start guiding the person to be able to release that emotion. While, again, you're, while, while you're working you're, on exactly. it. Exactly. But there are people that are ready to do that and there are people that are not. So it just depends how ready you are for somebody to start digging in your muscle at the same time that he's talking to you about your emotion. But always know that as a massage therapist, basically, 
anybody is in a safe space for them to be able to release. How do you work out a horse's muscles? How do you, like, is there like, is it just with your hands or do you have like actual like assistance with some sort of hydraulics? No, you don't have assistance with the hydraulics. It's basically it's like a jackhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah jackhammer. No. <laughs> it's yes, it's your hands. You can use the same tools that you use for humans, in the sense of a massage gun, uh, a scraper, a blade. Um, cupping. I've never tried cupping on a horse, and I don't. I don't think. I don't know how they would take it. I would have to, yes, I would have to test it and I will let you know what happens with one of them. But, you Just know. Just don't do it on the back half. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> won't do it on the back half. I'll do it on the front, make sure that I stay away from the back. Um, but, you know, it, it's usually the same tools that you do for, you can use heat, you can use cold, um, you can use water pressure, so but mostly is hands. Now, yes, the animal is bigger. There are bigger muscles and you have to sometimes get leverage in the sense that you have to get on a stool to be able to put pressure on the muscles. There's also tense units. You can use tense units too, to be able to work Electrically, yep. electrically stimulate muscle muscles. contractions. Yeah, exactly. So. That's another thing, but mostly hands. Mostly hands. The horses, some horses cannot deal with the noise of a massage gun, so. Tenses. Yes. Do horses have the same sort of problem areas like humans do? Like, you know, are there necks cricked because they're looking at their cell phones, working in office chairs. <laughs> well, of course, it's very hard for them to sit, but they do have, so saddle fitting has evolved in the past few years. Um, saddles now are made to actually fit the horses, where before a saddle was made a certain size and it didn't matter how it fit the horse. So I think the biggest problems that you have is that the saddle doesn't fit the horse correctly and they keep on working. And that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges, but saddle fitting, you know, a race horse will always work differently than a jumping horse. They use different muscles or a dressage horse will work differently. A cross country horse, an eventing horse, is probably the fittest horse of all of them, and they have different muscles because they have to, you know, be jumping 24 jumps in the course of three to five miles. So they have to, to go. So it's a little bit different, but you know, it just depends what you're using the horse for. And a trail horse will never have the same muscles developed as a jumping horse, a jumping horse. or a dressage horse. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But those, or they will not have them as developed. I mean, they have—they all have the same muscles. It's just some have them more developed than others. When when you start working on a horse, 
what are some of the things you have to watch out for like for safety concerns like do you can you read the horse pretty well like you're touching on something oh, yeah. that they're not happy with and they might oh yeah so if you are if you have been involved with horses because people that do massage for horses are not just oh i came from the street and they usually know a little bit about horses so you know that you know there are certain areas that you have to stay away from because the horse might react, which are the hind legs. The closer you are to the hind legs, the less of a blow you get, the further away from the hind legs is the harder the blow you get. Uh, yeah. People think that if they walk wide, they'll get kicked less. They might, but the blow, if they actually get you, is a lot harder than if you were closer to the horse. And you can see it, 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 even though you don't think that they have facial expressions, horses do have expressions with their face and their ears and how they, how they react to things. So if you're touching in an area that it's hurting and the ears go back and the nostrils kind of get funky, you're like, I need to get into this a little bit easier or I need to step away need to give it time so yes you learn how to read horses the same thing that you learn how to read people you know some people when you're doing deep tissue especially they might not tell you that they're hurting but you see them that they just either hold their whole body or they hold their breath so you as a massage therapist have to back out of it a little bit and proceed with the massage because if not you're not gonna get anywhere so it's about the same thing Except you're not gonna get kicked. Maybe. Have you ever Maybe. been? Wait, no, oh, no, no, wait, no, no, hold no. on. Have you been kicked by a client? <laughs> no, but was they... his name Clyde? <laughs> no, but they have gotten off my table because they come in and they say, "Yes, I can take it," and I'm like, "Are you sure?" And these are men, very built, and they're like, "Yes, I can take the tissue." and they basically come off my table when I'm actually putting, yes. They don't kick, they just come off the table. They're all done. Yeah. Not no all more. done, but it's like, oh, I didn't think it was that hard. Yeah, like, yeah, told you. It gets, it gets a little rough. You gotta be careful. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you asked for it and I gave it to you. So what are some things that you think could help just like the everyday person in their muscular health? Stretching, drinking a lot of water, and actually make sure that you're not in the same position for a long period of time. You're not sitting, you're not looking at your phone, you're not in the computer. You actually have to get up and change the position for a little bit to be able to, but I think stretching is a big one because we, even, even if you don't do exercise, I mean, we need to stretch. There is a video called The Fuss in YouTube. And it's bas basically these medical students that are working with a cadaver and they talk about the fuss. So when you go to sleep, 
the collagen fibers and everything that's in your body basically becomes like a fuss. It kind of gets a little bit hard. And when you wake up in the morning, that's why you kind of like stretch and you feel so good because you're stretching. That's why you see the cats when they wake up from the nap, they always stretch and the dogs because they're melting that fuss that got made overnight. And one of the things that they talk about is like, okay, so the fuss comes overnight. So when you get hurt, let's say your shoulder got hurt and they tell you, don't move your shoulder for four weeks. So the fuss keeps on accumulating for the four weeks. So then why do you have a frozen shoulder afterwards? Because you did not move the shoulder for four weeks. And when they show the cadaver, you can see what they call the fuss is basically the film and those fibers that have become kind of whitish, harder. And that's what they're showing you. So you got to move and you stretch. You got to move and stretch to be able to lubricate. And make sure you're not. Exactly. Creating fuss, extra fuss. Yeah, because as you age, you definitely don't gain momentum and movement and range of motion. You lose it's it. All downhill. Yes. It's downhill, yeah, it's, I don't think it's downhill, but it just doesn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think some people, it can go downhill very quick. Yes, some do. But there are also, you know, there are cases of women or men that are in their 80s and they end up basically becoming um, weight builders. Oh yeah, everybody is different. In their 80s. In their 80s. That's impressive. There's, I think, a 90-year-old woman that does gymnastics. Yeah. It's not the jumping and the doing like, you know, like you we would gotta, think of them all day. Yes. Exactly. But it is gymnastics. It's gymnastics. Still. still going on. All right. Yeah. So, you know, to be able to do that in your 90s, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you hope to be doing in your 90s? Still be able to ride a horse. Horses are my happy place. As long as I can get on a horse and ride. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where I am. Okay. If I make it to, no. Don't well, want to be plugged into anything. If you keep stretching and <laughs> working on it. Yeah, and a healthy lifestyle, emotional issues, take, take emotional issues uh, eat healthy. And I think the emotional issues are the yeah. biggest challenge for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Not to hide the emotions and the muscles. Just let them out. Yeah. yeah. It's easier said than done. What? No what? way! Yes! Yes way! <laughs> Especially after like the last two years or three years that we've all had. Like isolation being changing in massive amounts of everyone's routines yes i think challenges and that may have gone unseen for a long time now we're coming out and being like oh i don't think that this is the way it was supposed to be when we went in and this is definitely not the way it needs to be coming out and you know there's 
I think the isolation and the challenges, everybody took them a little bit different. Uh, there are people that actually became very fearful. And again, my own personal opinion, I could give it. A whole story. Yes, about it. <laughs> Maybe another podcast, how about that? It would be we'll like... We'll have you on in about a year. Uh, I know, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's... <laughs> because for me, it was just cutting into some of the things that I wanted to do, and it just, I was, I was pissed. I was really pissed. So I guess I took it a little bit different than others. Aside from horses, where else do you find happy places? Hiking in the woods. Spending time with my dogs. I have gotten back into drawing and I have gotten back into writing. So I might not express my feelings talking to somebody, but I can express my feelings writing. It's a lot easier to stare at a piece of paper than to stare at somebody in their eyes. <laughs> Throw it right in the fire. Hey, right exactly. it like, throw, right it the fire. throw it in the fire. Let it burn. No. It is gone. It's gone. Those, <laughs> those thoughts and emotions are not right. part of you exactly. anymore. Exactly. They're dealt with They're and dead. gone and given to the universe. There you go. <laughs> yeah. When you are talking to someone about getting into horses now, where should they start? Brand new, right off the right off the highway. I don't. They're they're just like spanking you out of the city. How about that? Okay. Where do they go? So who do they talk to? I mean, there's a lot of places that you know you can go and take riding lessons, but you have to. One of the things, and one of the things that I teach or I always tell the people that come to start riding with me is people think that sitting on a horse is doing nothing okay sitting on a horse is actually working and there are especially kids because they're used to or adults for that matter because they're used to the immediate satisfaction when they're put to work and that they actually have to work in order to be able to get better, some people don't like it. So people might tell you, oh, I like horses, I want to ride. But if you don't have that passion to be able to be on it, to invest the time, to find that happy place on a horse or around a horse, you're not gonna make it. I mean, I've seen it so many times. And I can tell you, oh yes, I'll teach you how to ride, I'll put you on this horse, and then when this horse doesn't work, then I'll do the other one, and then the, the other one, and they will keep on changing. But you're never going to get that one, be able to ride that you don't fall off a horse. I mean, everybody will fall. That's so why you be realistic. Dirt, right? Yes, let's be realistic. Try not to fall as often. Okay, and actually enjoy what you're doing 
and horses are very healing their energy is very healing so when people are around horses they change it is very calming energy and you have to approach a horse always differently because they will react to you so if you're pissed they will come on you and say well i don't want anything to do with you i'm so sorry see ya oh i think my best advice is you know find if you actually want to ride make sure that you want to invest the time and find somebody that will help you find that happy place on the horse at the same time as they're teaching you to be safe around it. Because I've seen, during all my years of teaching, I have seen kids being thrown off of horses that accidents could have been prevented just by them being taught a little bit better basics. But again, we're in a immediate satisfaction world society that you know sometimes it's you go to the next to the next to the next so yeah that's probably my best advice if you had to recommend a kind of horse for a new rider rider quarter horse quarter horse quarter horse out of the labs of the world it's probably the easiest going horse um, once you start getting into different breeds in the sense of and again it depends what you want it for you know somebody might come in and say I just want to trail ride with friends quarter horse is the best well I want to trail ride and be able to jump so then I'm not saying that quarter horses won't do it but then you have to find a different um, type of quarter horse how they are built how their angles are for them to be able to do what you want them to do and then yes I want to go into extreme competition then you find a different horse and usually the German breeds because they have been around longer are the breeds that people go to for shows I mean German breeds even though they're bred in the United States or bred in Mexico or bred in Argentina it's just the way the horse has been bred, the, the lines behind it that have the blood, the certain uh, abilities that has given that particular horse to be able to perform. So, What is your favorite horse to ride? Oh, when I was younger, I was like, I don't care about the bloodlines because any horse can jump, any horse can perform. When I actually bred my own horse, I saw that the bloodlines do help. So my type of horse are the German horses, the Hanoverians, the Oldenburgs. They're bigger, they're a little bit chubbier, they have this um, quietness about them. I mean, I'm not, you can have a hot horse and go crazy, but most of them tend to be just a little bit that you have to push them to do something so those are the those those are the horses I like that have less thoroughbred in them more of the others 
they're not ready to go, they're ready, they're, it takes more to coax them into doing what you want them to do. Maybe. Sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of. So horses, the, the, there will always be Arab and thoroughbred in any of the breeds to make them lighter, to make them more sport performance. Because, you know. They're very aerodynamic at that stage. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good way of putting it. But, you know, the Arabs have the stamina, the thoroughbreds have the stamina, and, and you need that fireness at some point in time to be able to perform. So, the more you add thoroughbred or Arab to the breeds, you start making them lighter in the sense of the angles are a little bit different, they're a little bit more compact, so they change a little bit, they're, they're not as heavy. And to give you an example, when the first, in Mexico, when the first Hanoverian breeds came in, they were tanks. I mean, they were chubby and big and massive. And now you look at a Hanoverian horse and it is slender. I mean, they're still big, but they're still slender. And for example, when I bred my mare, I was like, oh yeah, she looks okay. And it wasn't until they actually took a picture of her that I saw how massive she was. I was like, yeah, you're big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's just, you know, you see it every day, so you don't, you just don't realize it. Until but then you have that optical illusion. Yeah, it's like, oh. Your, your perception is changed when the medium is different. Exactly, exactly. So how long have you had your mare? <clears throat> God, she'll be 15, 16. Do you still ride her? I do. How does she feel about that? Some days she likes it and some days she doesn't. <laughs> horses can live fairly long lives. I think the longest living horse was like 52 years old. It was a pony in England, actually. Yeah. 52 years old. Probably just ate corn and beer. I guess, but you know, at that time... It was just like pickled <laughs> by that time. <laughs> so as they get older, you know, they start losing their teeth, so you have to basically change their diet. But I truly don't know if he had his teeth or not, but yeah. It gets the oldest horse I've had, 29. So yours at 15 is? A baby. A baby. <laughs> and mind you, I haven't put her through the challenges of actually competing. When, you're at, when a horse is competing every weekend oh. during the, their life, I mean, that puts some stress. So this horse has competed not as often as I would have liked to because of whatever. So, you know, she's very, very healthy for that matter. She's in shape and healthy and not like injured and on the way out. Exactly. So the more 
competitions that you have, the more challenges that you have to keep your horses competing, not lame, not injured. And even if they're injured, sometimes you don't have another horse or you're looking for a particular competition or X amount of points or whatever, that you just manage the injury enough to be able to, but the injury never heals. You know, it just, and yes, there are anti-doping uh, things in show jumping and dressage and that kind of stuff, but you still manage it one way or another. So, yeah. Your favorite horse analogy? Look a gift horse in the mouth? I don't think I have one, you actually, don't? no. <laughs> I don't. For the longest time, I didn't know it was don't look. I thought it said don't kick. I was like, of course, why would you kick a gift horse in the mouth? That seems really rude. Someone gave you a horse. Why, why would, would you, you be so rude? Man. Yeah. I, grow, growing up, we had some people around us that had horses. Like my, I remember my uncle having a horse and stuff like that. So riding sporadically growing up <clears throat> was a little bit different. Um, I do, you know, I do have a little bit of work in vaulting. Yeah. Which is... Hard. Hard. I think I would have a lot more fun now just being more physically active and able and not so scared of getting hurt, really. But you know, the, the, the people, I think the people that do vaulting probably have more ways of falling correctly than a non-vaulting person. Yeah. And because of vaulting, like you're typically at like a slow pace around, the horse isn't jumping. Like having a horse which weighs typically what? About 900? Over a thousand, over a thousand pounds. pounds. Yeah. That horse going up and coming down either on you or on your on itself, like that's a lot of mass moving. And unfortunately, it is um, basically I found out today. I hadn't been on Facebook for a long period of time. There was the uh, rider that was 15 years old actually died at a horse show in Wellington, in Florida. And the reason that she died was because the horse fell on her. So you have, in horses, you have what is called a rotational fall. And that rotational fall usually happens when a horse is jumping, and when they jump, they catch in their front legs, they catch a pole, and they rotate. So you get thrown, exactly, they rotate, so you get thrown, and a lot of times a horse falls on you. Usually those falls are three-day eventing, so either horses die or riders die. This particular fall, actually the horse tripped. She fell, and then the horse fell on top of her, which is, I think, a harder way than anything so yeah. yeah there's still a lot of still a lot of danger involved oh there will always be danger and you know one of the ladies 
that I follow posted something, it was like, either you assume the danger or you don't ride. Yeah. And that is correct. It's you assume it or you don't ride. Yeah. And yes, riding will always be dangerous. Always. Because you're dealing with an animal that can actually have, I'm not going to say forms that owns thoughts, but they can decide whether they want you on top or not. And when you're riding a horse, they're actually trusting you because they cannot see you. So they're trusting you that you're on top. As if at one point in time, the animal doesn't trust you anymore. You're gone. You're gone. I wouldn't change it for anything. <laughs> Going back to one of your earlier comments of the feeling of that horse jumping and being in the middle of the air free. Yes. That's worth it. It's worth yep. the danger. It is. Because it is at that point in time where you're in the air, it's just you and the horse and nothing else. And when you can actually, I think the best times that I had is when I actually learned competition is always going to be challenging. But when you actually learn to manage the competition that you can block everything out, because in Mexico you have the band, you have the drums, you have the trumpets, you have the music, you have the people, you're screaming. Same thing that you would have in a big time competition, the world games, that kind of stuff. I mean, the environment is electric. It's alive. It's, yes. So when you learn to be able to block that out and just be, is probably the best feeling in the world. It takes a little bit of practice to acquire it. I was yeah. gonna say, yeah, <laughs> this is probably gonna take a bit. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is. Thank you You're welcome. for your time and your words. And you know what? Uh, I think that idea of finding that place where you can feel free is is important. It is. It is. Both for you and your horse. Yeah, for you and your horse, but I think with all the things that have happened in life lately and I think people need to realize that more than ever they do have to focus on finding that place to at least de-stress to at least be able to be, or to continue with everything else that's coming. Here. What? What? Yeah. You think we need to? Oh my God, really? <laughs> I can't just ignore Do we care about ourselves? No. Uh, Do we care about ourselves? Why would we? Why would we? Or stretch, or de-stress, or Would you like to live to be 90? <laughs> All right, no. all right, all right. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, thank you again. You're welcome. Looking forward to having you on again. It was very nice. Good. I loved it. Good. Thank you. I'm glad. I know it can be a little bit scary when you start being recorded, but... Yeah. You did great. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us today and exploring the untold stories that enrich our lives. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to share this experience with your friends and family. 
Subscribe to Negative Space on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Substack so you'll never miss an inspiring tale. Your support means the world to us, and by sharing these narratives, we can together shine a light on the hidden moments that shape who we are. Reach out to us through the links in the description. Remember, the canvas of life is filled not just by the strokes of the obvious, but also by the beauty of the negative space, the spaces between the stories that define us. Until we meet again, may your life be filled with colorful tales and cherished memories. And thank you for being a part of Negative Space.